Welcome to the Bova UK podcast, where we will be discussing diseases from diagnosis through to management. These podcasts are aimed for registered vets and veterinary nurses. If you're listening as a pet owner, then we always advise that if you have any concerns about your animal, then please consult with your local veterinary surgeon. So welcome this evening, Val. So we have Val here from Vet Specialist Online. After graduating from Edinburgh University, Val spent 11 years working in small animal practice before taking an internship at Dick White Referrals. She then completed a three-year residency in small animal medicine at Glasgow Vet School, and Val passed her European diploma in small animal internal medicine in 2016. And she's joining us this evening really to talk about respiratory disease and the use of doxycycline. So welcome, Val. Thank you. So really just wanted a typical use of feline upper respiratory tract infections and, and where you would use doxycycline and things like that. So if we start off with maybe which infectious agents are typically involved in feline upper respiratory tract infections? Okay, so if we're thinking about your typical cat with upper respiratory tract infections, it's what we usually think of as cat flu. And that's often viral. So herpes virus and Khaleesi virus would be one of the, a couple of the main um, agents that would be considering um, as a cause of the, so the typical cat flu type things. Now, then we can and get secondary infections, and that can be various bacteria, so staphs and streps, pasteurellas and E. coli. And then we can get primary bacterial infections, and that's more things like Bordetella that we often think of as just affecting dogs, but we can see it in cats as well. And then things like Chlamydophila or Mycoplasma. So when we think about whether we're going to treat these, a lot of cats with cat flu, because they're viral, we don't really have any specific treatment for them. And if they're, we can just let them cope with that disease. Run their course. Yeah, exactly. And, and just give them supportive care with things like meloxicam to make them comfortable and, and good nursing care at home. So keeping their nose clean, their eyes clean, encouraging them to eat with nice smelly foods and just finding foods that they're interested in. Where we might think about starting treatment with an antibacterial is where they're actually not doing very well, they're off their food, they're pyrexic, they're really lethargic, that there's clearly got more going on than just a simple upper respiratory infection. And then my first um, go-to antibiotic for that would literally be doxycycline. The reason being, it's a good broad-spectrum antibiotic, so it's going to cover um, some gram-positives. Um, but it's also going to specifically cover things like Bordetella, Mycoplasma and, and Chlamydophila, which are the things that can be primary agents as well as the viral agents. So that would always be my first go-to for cats with an upper respiratory tract infection. Okay. And what's the benefits of testing them and investigating these cases when you're getting so, them in? I think um, in the general practice situation, I think a lot of these animals don't need investigations in the first instance. So where we've got a cat presenting with suspected cat flu, it's either well and we're giving a bit of time and support to care or if it's unwell and we want to cover with, with an antibiotic, then I'd start with maybe 10 days of doxycycline. And I wouldn't be looking to specifically test for the organisms that are there because that can be quite difficult. So we can certainly do PCRs for herpes and Khaleesi virus on oropharyngeal swabs. But actually doing bacterial cultures is very difficult because when you're culturing the upper respiratory tract, you're going to get a lot of commensals. So it's very hard to then know whatever you're culturing, whether it's significant or not. Um, and you might be missing some of the bugs that we want to treat because mycoplasma won't grow in our cultures. So 
I'm going to use a, an antibiotic that I know is going to target the potential bacteria there, such as Bordetella or Mycoplasma. And I don't think in the first instance that investigation is going to be helpful. I would suggest that we go to investigations where animals aren't responding as we'd expect or if they're really chronic and then we just want to make sure what's going on. And at that point, I wouldn't necessarily just be looking for infectious agents. I'd be wanting to do imaging because if cats have got chronic flu type signs, then we can be thinking they might be getting chronic um, rhinitis, changes to the turbinates. Um, so we want to know what the physical changes are. And then I would potentially at that point do viral testing, but I wouldn't often be doing bacterial testing just because of the difficulty of interpreting those results. And then why, leading on from that, I suppose, why should doxycycline be considered as a first-line antimicrobial in cases of things like canine and feline respiratory tract infections? I think there's multiple reasons. First of all, there is actually the ISCA guidelines. So in um, the Journal of Veterinary Internal Medicine, this is an open access journal that anyone can look at the papers in. There is a consensus on the guidelines for treating respiratory tract disease in dogs and cats. And doxycycline is um, quite often the first line go-to if you read through that paper um, for multiple upper respiratory cases. So that's certainly one reason is that's been recommended by multiple experts in this field. And then secondly, because it is treating the, the bacteria that we're really suspecting are the most likely culprits. So again, Mycoplasma, Bordetella and Chlamydophila will all be covered by Bordetella. And then we have got other studies that show that things like Convenia, which is a a go-to for a lot of vets because it's, it's convenient and it's easy, but that has been shown to be less effective in shelter cats treated for um, respiratory disease than, do than using doxycycline. And there's no evidence that things like adafloxacin is actually any better than using doxycycline. So it's certainly, it's a nice broad spectrum antibiotic and it's covering the bugs that we know are our main suspects. So that would be, there's multiple reasons basically for me that we should be using that as our first line. Okay. And then as, as that kind of nicely leads on to the m most practices have the protect me poster up on their walls and they will tick what they feel is appropriate for their practices. And I suppose amoxicillin clavulinate is the kind of go-to product for everyone to be using. It's a really well-known, you know, active, which they will use on a day-to-day -day basis. And there's lots and lots of different providers of that medicine. And from a respiratory tract infection like section on the protect me poster doxycycline and amoxicillin clavulinate are level on that poster so it's just based on the guidelines you would say that then potentially the doxycycline would be preferable over the amoxicillin doxycycline is definitely going to have more effect on bordetella and mycoplasma so I think yeah. it's a better choice because of the things that we suspect might be there. And then it's also broad spectrum anyway. So it's going to cover mm -hmm. some of your gram positives. So I think it's a good first choice. Okay. I think we'll probably cover a little bit later on as to probably why doxycycline is maybe sometimes steered away from on some first opinion clinics. Okay. So, so is there any kind of scenarios where doxycycline maybe shouldn't be used as a first line treatment? for respiratory infections for dogs and cats? Um, I think where animals are critically ill, so animals that are tachypneic, um, they're dyspneic, they're needing to be in oxygen, they're clearly got some more severe sort of lower respiratory tract disease going on, so we're thinking they might have pneumonia. 
where they're not eating, they're really poorly, then I would have those animals on IV antibiotics and then I would go for a moxiclava in those situations. When you're treating cats, what kind of dose would you use and how long would you typically treat them for? And so I'd usually go for 10 megs per kick once a day and I'd probably go for 10 days. There's no clear evidence as to how long we should be treating them for. So I'd probably go for 10 days in the first instance. And then when would you assess them again at 10 days to determine whether they need to extend or? Yeah, I'd probably be assessing them at seven to 10 days and seeing how they're getting on and check that they're improving as I would want to if it's just a literally an upper respiratory tract infection. If they're really not improving, I'd probably extend that to 14 days. But after that, if we're not getting an improvement, I'd probably be thinking that they might need image to just see what's going on in their nose, make sure there's not lots of turbinate destruction for some reason why they're not responding as we'd expect. And then why is doxycycline often used in cases of the chronic idiopathic rhinitis in dogs and cats? So we use, that's always our first choice for chronic rhinitis, where we know there's sort of terminate destruction. So in the chronic rhinitis, the understanding is that this is an overactive immune response to normal commensals that are in the nose. So doxycycline is great for multiple reasons for that. So it's classed as an immunomodulatory antibiotic, and that's because it down-regulates um, the immune response through several different pathways. So it's known to inhibit interleukin-1 beta. There's been studies where they've given poor mice terrible diseases and made them endotoxemic, and it's been shown that doxycycline actually protects mm-hmm. those mice and stops them from dying. So we know it does down-regulate the immune system through multiple effects. So when we're looking at chronic rhinitis, we think the immune system, first of all, is overreactive at normal commensals. So your doxycycline is likely to be reducing those commensals that are there through its antibiotic effect, but then also reducing the immune um, response through its immunomodulatory effect. So in chronic rhinitis, that is absolutely the one antibiotic we should be using. In my opinion, we shouldn't be using any others until we start with doxycycline and then see how they get on. Um, And and how long would you typically treat them? Uh, Chronic rhinitis, potentially lifelong. And then people Mm. always worry about resistance, but in practice, I don't really see that. So... Usually when I've got a chronic rhinitis case confirmed on imaging, I would use doxycycline in conjunction with a non-steroidal for at least four weeks and then potentially stop, see what happens. And then we've got various options from there. And we're never curing chronic rhinitis. So a lot of people think, oh, it responded to antibiotics and then it recurred. So I've not cured it. You're not going to cure it. And that's really important to understand and to discuss with owners so they're on board. So then I do four weeks of treatment, see how they're getting on. When the signs recur, which they will, then potentially do two weeks more, see what happens. And then we can either look at using it long-term or pulse dosing, like a couple of weeks on, a couple of weeks off. That is very variable, depending on the patient, what you need to do from there. But it would certainly be four weeks to start with and then assessing what's happening after that. And always at 10 meg per kick for those as well. Yep, that is pretty much my doxycycline dose for everything. <laughs> it seems to work. <laughs> I think it's across the board for all species, to be fair. Yes, <laughs> And then that fits nicely in with the side effects and things with doxycycline, whether it be a short course or a long term thing. I'd I'd say we, I have used a lot of doxycycline in chronic rhinitis cases over the years, and I'd say it's usually very well tolerated. So it is reported to cause GI signs of vomiting, diarrhea and inappetence. I'd have to say I have, I cannot recall having to stop a doxycycline course because of those signs. It potentially can increase liver values. And if that happens, usually when you stop the doxycycline, those go back to normal. And there's no clear evidence that it affects liver function, but it just seems to put the liver values up. 
And then the main concern that I think people have with doxycycline is esophageal ulceration and potentially stricture formation, especially in cats. So cats, as we all know, aren't great at taking tablets. So I think if we're giving doxycycline and that tablet's not being um, swallowed properly and we're using the doxycycline highlight, the sort of authorised version of doxycycline, that is quite acidic. So if it's not swallowed properly, it can lead to ulceration in the esophagus and then lead on to stricture. So that'd be one of the main side effects that we're concerned about doxycycline, especially in cats. So it can happen in dogs, but especially in cats. So then alternative formulations available um, in a different salt form. Yes. So certainly for cats, my choice would be to always use the doxycycline monohydrate. So it's much less acidic than the highclate, which is why we think it has less effect on the esophagus. And it's been shown in people that the monohydrate causes less esophageal ulceration. So the assumption is that the same will apply in cats. And I think the other benefit of the monohydrate is it comes in a paste. So it's just so much easier to administer to cats because we all know that cats are nigh on impossible to medicate basically if they'll take in food great but they're too smart for that so it's usually a fight whereas most owners even with very difficult to medicate cats I've found can cope with the paste it comes in quite an easy to dose syringe so I find people have managed that quite easily and then I'm much less worried about the soft gel side effects with that so they're just easier to give on a day-to-day basis for yes. long-term use much easier as we all know that cats are not the most compliant of patients nope. going forward. Cats do cat things. They don't go for meds. <laughs> no. There's studies out there regarding tablet administration and them spending particular amounts of time in the esophagus, isn't there? Yeah. Um, I can't, I don't know if you can recall, I'm putting you on the spot slightly, but I don't know if you can recall kind of... I can't recall the papers, but I do remember reading no. it in cats. For some reason, they do have delayed esophageal transit when we're medicating them. I think just because they're cats and they like to be really awkward. Yeah. But there's definitely a difference in cats and the esophageal transit time for medications that against dogs. Oh, really? Oh, I didn't know there was... I, okay. I can't quote the paper, but I remember reading no. it. <laughs> <laughs> and then, so I suppose, what would be your take-home messages for GP vets treating your feline upper respiratory tract infections that you, they're probably seeing quite a few of them I would say it's a, a reasonably common thing that's going to be coming through the door I think it's a kind common of- thing so I think if you've got a cat coming in that is looking like a snuffly cat fluey cat but it's really well I think it's worth giving it five seven days without medication see if it can sort it out on itself and if not then I would recommend doxycycline monohydrate over the doxycycline highlight, and we can justify that because we know that drug is less likely to cause um, significant side effects. If cats get esophageal ulceration with the normal formulation of doxycycline, that can potentially be fatal. This can be really hard to manage. They can get strictures. That usually involves referral to sort that out. And even at referral level, we can dilate these strictures, but it's not just one process, one one dilation and then it's done. It's multiple anesthetics, multiple procedures. So it's really life-changing if cats get this. So I think we've got good justification to use the cascade and then actually use doxycycline monohydrate instead. Yeah. And that, I suppose that would be following the, the VMD position statement on responsible use of antimicrobials as well exactly in line with the cascade and you're following correct protocols to yeah i think we can fully justify that choice so we're treating 
the bacteria we need to treat and we're using a formulation that is less likely to cause harm to the patient. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's completely justified under the cascade. Okay. That's great. I think that was uh, pretty informative from an upper respiratory tract infection (laughs) and treatments. And thank you very much for joining us this evening. Oh, thank you very much. Thank you. These podcasts are aimed for registered vets and veterinary nurses. If you're listening as a pet owner, then we always advise that if you have any concerns about your animal, then please consult with your local veterinary surgeon.